Anyway, we're in Matthew chapter 24, 23 through 31. Remember where we are in the scriptures. Jesus is in his last week. It's actually Tuesday evening, and he's giving the Olivet Discourse. And in this, he's answering the questions, what will be the time of the end? When, will be, when are you going to be coming back, Jesus? And that's what we have been studying. Now, we're going to be talking about the second coming of Christ today. So if you would, stand for reading of the Word of God. We honor God by standing when we read his Word. Matthew chapter 24, 23 through 31, the following. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if, you say, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the earth, one end of heaven to the other. This is the Word of God. Our Father, we give you thanks for your Word, and we view this Word as the inerrant, infallible Word of the living God, what you want us to know while we're walking through this earth about you, Lord Jesus. Teach us today, Holy Spirit, things that you want us to know, and may we hear something special for each one of us, for you speak to us personally in every talk. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, as you know by now, the theme of Jesus, is, theme of Jesus, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. The king is coming. We say this every Sunday. The king is coming. He is the promised king. He's going to set up his millennial kingdom, and he will reign for a thousand years. And I'm telling you, I don't know if you're looking forward to that, but when you get to this point in life, this is like, oh, goody, goody gumdrops. I mean, <laughs> thank you that you're coming back, Lord Jesus. So over the last several weeks, again, it's the Olivet Discourse. Now, remember the first part of the teaching, the first uh, few verses in Matthew, starting in verse 4, talks about the, the riders on the horses, the rider on the white horse, the rider on the red horse, which is war. The white horse would be an antichrist or the picture of the antichrist system coming into effect. Then there's war on the red horse, and then there's famine and pestilence after that, and then the chlorophyll or pale-colored horse was death. And we learned in the beginning, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, that 1.5 billion people will die. And Jesus calls this the beginning of birth of sorrows, the birth pangs. And it's significant because that was an amazing awfulness that is happening at the beginning of the tribulation. But he says it's nothing compared to what is coming. The great tribulation is the last three and a half years. Remember we talked about the abomination of desolation being set up. Antichrist being possessed by Satan. Satan then with a, with a mission of killing every single Jew on earth that he can possibly kill. Why does he want to do that? Why does he try to eradicate the Jewish race? 
so they cannot plead for him to return and admit their national sin of rejecting Messiah. If he can do that, then Jesus can't come back. And in his deluded mind, he thinks he can accomplish that. So the great tribulation is the great tribulation because of the pressure that's going to be put on the Jewish people. Doesn't happen at the beginning. I think many people are going to die, probably Jews included, then at 1.5 billion that are involved in the tragedy that goes on on earth. But it's not targeted. In the last half, it's targeted on the Jews. Now, you need to know, and I think you do know this, that at the very end of the tribulation is when the Jewish people will repent. It'll take all those seven years, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, the wrath of Antichrist, and then they will be sequestered. They know when the abomination of desolation comes, they flee to Petra or Basra in the Hebrew. That place in Jordan where it's their safe place that Antichrist can't touch. God has limited them. Wouldn't, wouldn't, it, wouldn't allow Antichrist to go into that area. However, towards the very end, Antichrist is desperate. And from Megiddo, he met, Armageddon, he musters his army and he goes towards Basra. And on the way to Basra, the people here, Antichrist is coming. We don't have a chance. He's going to slaughter us. It is at that point, two to three days before the end of the tribulation, that they cry out and admit their national sin of rejecting Messiah, and they plead for him to come back and save them. Now, we see this in Hosea chapter 5, verse 15, and chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. It's unfortunate there was a chapter break there. The theme is the same. Watch what it says. Then I will return to my place. He's been rejected as Messiah. I will return to my place. I'm going to go to heaven until they admit their guilt and seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. Now, that's what he's saying. Hosea, hundreds of years before this actually happens. It goes on to say, this is the Amplified Bible. And it says this, come, let us return. Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. This is in repentance to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Now, Arnold Fruchtenbaum in his, in his work, Footsteps of Messiah, says this about this time frame. This is a call issued by the Jewish leaders exhorting the nation to repent and confess their national sin. Only then will the physical blessings of Israel once enjoyed be restored to her. The leaders of Israel will finally recognize the reason why the tribulation has fallen on them. Remember, the purpose of the tribulation is not for the church. I believe the church is gone. The purpose of the tribulation is for the Jewish people to finish the 70th week of Daniel and finally realize who their Messiah is. They rejected him. Time stopped at the 69th week. You've been in the teaching, know what that means. And then we have the church age. The church is extracted. God focuses on the Jewish people in the seven-year tribulation. Arnold goes on to say this. In this confession, they admit that the nation had looked upon Jesus as nothing more than a man, just a man, a criminal who died for his own sins. However, on this occasion, they recognized that he was no ordinary man, but the perfect Lamb of God, the Messiah himself. And folks, I'm hoping that you have recognized that Jesus is no ordinary man. He is your Messiah. He is your Savior. He is your coming King. 
He is your hope in this world that is changing. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 9 and 10 says this about this second coming event. It shall be in that day, talking about the second coming, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. That's the armies that have been mustered at Megiddo. This is the Armageddon army that's going to march on Basra, and he will intervene. And I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. This will be the new covenant that we'll talk about later. They'll repent and turn to God. Then they will look upon me whom they've pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Folks, this is true repentance that happens when Jesus saves them from utter destruction and they turn to their Messiah. Now, just in review, for the umpteenth time, we're going to go through the next slide, okay? And we're talking about the tribulation judgments. And I want you to notice something here. My pointer's not working so hot. But anyway, the rapture, there's a time frame here. This is taken from Thomas Constable's work. Arnold Fruchtenbaum also has made mention of this and, and Mark Hitchcock in their work, that the rapture could happen sometime before the tribulation period starts. Now, we believe that it could happen any time. The day before, the moment before that peace pact is signed with the Antichrist, it could happen. But also, there's this period of time that, there's, that they postulate could happen. Some say there could be months, weeks, even years before the tribulation period starts. Then the, great, then the first half of the tribulation, the three and a half years, the Jews are protected. They're protected. It doesn't become the, even the 1.5 billion die here. But the persecution of the Jews starts what Jesus calls the great tribulation, the last three and a half years, where if Jesus did not intervene, there would be no elect alive. The elect in that context was the Jewish people. So, starting in verse 23 through 26, the deception that is going to occur prior to the second coming, going into the tribulation period, well, we're really crescendo, but I think we're seeing this deception today in the epoch of time that we're living in. So, in verse 23, we read the following. Then, now they have made their trip into Basra. They are protected from the Antichrist. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it, for false Christ, that would be the Antichrist, and false prophets, the false prophet, will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Take a hard stop right there. You are studying prophecy so that you know beforehand what to expect. We are not to be going into this future, biting our fingernails, hearts pitter-pattering, because we don't know what's going to happen. We know what's happening. This is all orchestrated by God. Everything is happening on schedule as he's planned it, as awful as it's going to be. Don't panic. And I believe we have the great escape. Now, I do. I believe this. I believe this. If I'm wrong, then we change our view. But anyway, and you know I've said this before, nothing new, but anyway. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out, or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Now, what are we seeing here? False Christs and false prophets will perform signs and miracles to deceive. 
Now, I want you to think about something. Who is the great deceiver? You know his name as Satan. He is called the Satan, as Chuck Swindoll would say, Satan. I said, oh, that's so cool. I'm going to say that, Satan. He's the adversary. He's not just the adversary of God. He is your adversary, every believer, but it's not just every believer. He hates every human equally. He, the only one he likes is himself, full of pride, full of self. And remember this, deception is going to increase, and you need to have this in your mind. I don't care what something looks like, something sounds like, if it's even appealing to me, if it is not in line with the Word of God, I'm not going to receive it. I don't care how spectacular this miracle could be, or this great guy talks, or gal, or whatever they try to put into you. Uh, I'm not going to receive it. Now, who is the power behind their deception? You know him as Satan, the adversary. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says this, the coming of the lawless one, now you know that's the Antichrist, we've been through this many times, is according to the working of Satan, the energia of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. See, God gives you a chance. They rejected the chance. So who are the deceived? Not everyone. I would say the majority are, but not everyone will be. The ones who did not receive the love of the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2.12 says this, the ones who did not believe in the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. These are the ones that are deceived. These are the ones that will be separated from God. These are the ones that will not make it into the kingdom, and they will end up in hell and ultimately the, the, the lake of fire. Now, it's the same today as we're heading into this time frame. Those who reject the truth of Jesus are condemned. Now, that word condemned is, is carino. I'm going to read you a verse here in just a second. And when you see this word in here, the word is carino. And the carino means judge, to be judged. You will not be judged. Uh, John 3.18 says this, He who believes in the Son is not condemned. He who does not believe in the Son is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So you will be condemned, judged, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what John is saying. He goes on to say in 3.19, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, Jesus. But men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Now again, the context is the remnant has, of the Jewish people have seen the abomination of desolation have fled to Basra, fled to their safe place. And Jesus is warning that in the safe place, there will be, be deceivers coming who will say, oh, look, you in Basra, he's out in the desert. Come and see the Messiah out here as they get ready to kill those people. Go to the inner room. He's in the inner room. You'll see him right over here. Please come and see him. They're deceiving them to come out from their protection and to be killed. The great deceiver. Satan's nature, folks, is to kill. That's his nature. He's a liar, and he's a thief, and he's a killer. Don't be lured away today from where you, sh where you should be in Christ by the deceiver of this world. You have many inputs today, as I've said multiple times, that are drawing you away from God. Be very careful. The deceiver is alive and well and it worked. Jesus warned, uh, warned us about this deceiver, this killer, in John chapter 10, verse 10. You know the verse. 
The thief does not come except but to kill, steal, and destroy. And then Jesus tags on this, which should be an uplifter for us. But I have come that you may have life. And not just a little flittering life, but life abundantly. A life to the full. And I'll tell you, I believe the Christian life is the best, fullest life that you can ever live. It's the most rewarding, it's enjoyable, it's fulfilling, it's meaningful. You'll know why you were created when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Most of the time, you're just stumbling through life, don't even know why you're here. You'll know when you get connected to the Master. You'll know that He is your Savior and that we serve a God that we're going to be living with forever. Think about today. It does not matter how smooth someone talks, how charismatic they are, what their signs are, what signs and wonders they do. They can do all kinds of great stuff. They can even say great things. Remember what Satan does and his ministers. Remember, he's a, he, he masquerades as an angel of light, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I think it is. This is extemporaneous. So somewhere in 2 Corinthians, he masquerades as an angel of light and his ministers as, as ministers of, of, of brightness, of, of, of truth. They're masqueraders. They're masqueraders. If something doesn't jive with the Word of God, what do you do? Cast it out. There was a song a long time ago. It was called the Do Run Run. <laughs> if somebody, if the Word is not true, the Do Run Run Run, the Do Run Run, the Boom Boom, you get out of the, out of, run from it. Run from it. <laughs> what is every believer to do regarding false teaching? Now listen to this statement. What are every believer to do regarding false teachers or any teacher? Any teacher, you are to test them. Right now, you should be testing me. If what, am I, and what I'm saying, is it in line with the Word? Those are Bereans. We saw that in, 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 in Acts. Bereans, search the Scriptures daily to see if what Paul was teaching was true. We are to test the spirits. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Beloved, talking to you, the church, you who are related to Jesus, do not believe every spirit. Is that a suggestion? No, that's an imperative in the Greek. That's a command. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are from God. That do not believe is not just a command, but is written in the present tense. You know what that means? You are to keep testing, keep testing, keep testing. It's not a one and done. You are to keep testing what I say. That's when I say something that's off. You guys go, bleh, bleh, bleh. You, know, you, you gig me. And that's, that's great. That's, you're doing your job. I need that. I need that accountability. So you test all things. Now, I want you to know there is a source of absolute truth in a world that is running from truth. And you know what that truth is. That truth is encompassed in God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. So you have Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the word of God that are truth. That's what we rely on. That's what we rely on. Truth is not subjective. People try to make it subjective. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. No way. There is truth, and there is subjective truth, which isn't truth. Now, what is truth? I defined it this way. It won't come up on the screen. I probably should have put it there. It's really simple. Truth is that which is. 
Don't you love that? That which, just that simple. That which is, not what I think, what God says. Test the spirits. You know what that word is? Dakimozo. Dakimozo. It means to try, to prove, discern, distinguish, judge. Judge. How many times have you been called the judger? How many times have people said, well, the Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged. You know, the world knows that better than John 3.16 now. Judge not lest ye be judged. You Christians, you always do that. I'm telling you that you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ have a mandate to judge, but judge appropriately. Even that judge not lest ye be judged, it was to take the plank out of your eye so you can get the splinter out of somebody else's eye. It's talking about hypocritical judgment, not judging for truth. Proverbs chapter 31.9 says this, and I think we need to do this in our culture today, in our homes today, in our teams today, in our groups today. Open your mouth and judge righteously. 1 Corinthians 2.15, the spiritual person judges all things. John 7.24, do not judge by appearance, which we're very good at, but judge with righteous judgments. Every believer, folks, every single believer that has been born again of the Spirit has a treasure. You have the Holy Spirit, which allows the person to judge with wisdom. You want to have God's wisdom, and you have it if you have the Spirit of God within you, and you're walking in the Spirit. If you're walking in the flesh, you're not going to be able to do this. You have to walk in the Spirit to be able to do this. Now, that wisdom is the word hachma, hachma, and it means skill and discernment, the ability to judge correctly, skillful in mind, word, and action. Interesting. Rod Dreyer in his book, Live Live Not by Lies, picks up on this concept. And he talks about see, judge, and act. See what's going on around you. Make a judgment if that is congruent with the Word of God. And then take an action. Just don't stay back. You speak truth into those situations as best you can. Refuse to believe the lies of the culture. Make judgments, folks. Stanley Toussaint in his book, Behold the King, says this. These false prophets are demonically inspired to the extent that they are able to perform deceiving signs. Thus, it is needful for the king to describe what is coming will not be like. It will not be so obscure that he must be pointed out. Rather, Christ's coming will be as manifest as an evident as a bolt of lightning stretching from sky to sky which takes us in to our next verses, 27 and 28. When Messiah returns, it will not be a double super secret. Okay? 27 through 18. 27 through 28. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, it's visible, isn't it? It's dramatic when you see it just boom, and you go, wow, that was a big one. Yeah. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For whether the, where, and then he adds this onto it. For where, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So, now hear this. Jesus' return will be evident to everyone. It will not be a secret. There will be no secret return. The world will see him. There won't be anybody wondering what's going on. They will know that they know. And you're going to see this as we, uh, we unravel these texts. 
Jesus will return be seen by everyone on the globe. No double super secret. Now, that got me to thinking about something. In 1978, there was a movie. It was called Animal House. And John Belushi starred in Animal House. And Delta House, the fraternity there, was put on double super secret probation. Remember, the dean put him on double super secret probation. And I'm thinking, how can I connect this to the teaching today? <laughs> so I'm trying to weave this in, okay? So I want, the next picture you're going to see is Jesus' return will not be a double super secret. It's going to be evident to everyone. Remember when Jesus went up to heaven? Remember in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11? And the angel, he's ascending into heaven before his disciples, and everybody's stunned that he's doing this mirror. They never saw that one before, remember? We talked about this. And he goes up in the cloud, and the angels say, this same Jesus will come in like manner. And lo and behold, we read in Revelation chapter 1, 7. Remember the clouds are the Shekinah, the glory of God. Remember, it's pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, light, light. So all those are the Shekinah, the glory of God. He departed in the glory of God. He returns in the clouds in the glory of God. Behold, he is coming with clouds, Revelation 1, 7. And every eye will see him, even though they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth were mourn because of him. Even so, amen. No one on this planet will be wondering what's going on. No one will be wondering what's going on. When Jesus comes back, it is going to be right there. And in the next verses that I read, you're going to see why it's going to be so plain. Now, this, this, this return is going to be startling to people. Leading up to Jesus coming to the earth, remember this, the earth will be decimated. It'll be decimated. You've had the seal judgments. You've had the tr trumpet judgments. You've had the bowl judgments. You remember you had half the light gone. Half the, the stars are falling from heaven. You have the moon that's no longer, half, a third of its light, excuse me, a third, a third, a third were the trumpet judgments. And then you have demons that are released, for, released from the pit and they sting people for, for, for seven months. And then you have this demonic army that's released and one-fourth of the earth is again killed or a third of the earth and that's another 1.5 billion people that die in those trumpet judgments. And then the bold judgments are even worse and there's more disaster and more disaster. The whole earth is, is, is just decimated prior to Jesus coming back. Now, I want you to think about this. Luke 21, 26 describes the heart of people at the end of this whole thing that are witnessing this. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Shaken. There'll be no mistake about what's going on when Jesus comes back. The earth will be a mess and he'll be coming back. Now, this is very, very different than the rapture. Very different than the rapture. Everyone will be going about their business, ignoring God, doing their thing prior to the rapture. There is nobody going about doing their thing prior to Jesus coming back. Every, half the planet's dead. The whole planet is one giant mess. There's, there's no life as normal here. Read what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 37 through 38. Now, many people believe this is a second coming verse. I do not. I believe this is a rapture verse. But as the days of Noah were so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were just going about their business, eating, drinking, marrying, giving a marriage, until the day that Noah entered 
the ark. Everything was just going on, your natural life. This describes normal life when Jesus returns. This, this, this describes normal life when Jesus returns. I put here at the second coming, but it should be at the rapture. Excuse me. As Jesus comes, at his second coming, life on earth will be far from normal. I guess that's what it's supposed to be. It will be normal daily stuff prior to the rapture, but prior to the second coming, nothing on this planet will be normal. That's what you have to understand. Jesus' second coming will be as obvious as lightning coming from the east and flashes to the west. It'll be a public event, not a private event. We talk about the secret rapture, and oftentimes people that degrade the rapture talk about, oh, you secret rapture people. It is a secret rapture. He is coming. He's coming at an unknown moment. At the end, by the second coming of Christ, people know you can put the, the no exact time that he's coming because 1,260 days at the beginning, 1,260 days at the end. He will come at a prescribed time. The rapture, you do not know when he's coming. You have not a clue. We have signs leading up to it for sure, but you don't know the moment. Zechariah in the Old Testament, uh, 9.14, talks about the second coming. Then the Lord will be, will, be, will be seen over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. You've heard that word. The Lord God will blow a trumpet and go with the whirlwinds from the south. I believe this is the second coming. Now, what about all this carcasses and eagle stuff? What in the world is all that about? Well, carcasses refers to dead bodies. There's going to be human animals dead all over the place. And an eagle, when you look that up in the Strong's, it's a carrion bird. That's a flesh-eating bird, vultures, who will feast on the massive dead bodies. Dead bodies all over the place. Revelation 19.17 tells us what this looks like. Now, this is not pretty. So believe on Jesus Christ, be saved. Don't go into this time frame. That's what he's telling you. Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people. Isn't that a grisly sight? That just, ugh, ugh. How about 29 through 31? The coming of Messiah, the second coming of Messiah. Immediately, after the tribulation of those days. Notice it's after the tribulation. Now, what's going to happen just before Jesus comes back? The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. It's going to be a blackout. Okay, remember this. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Now, what is that? He comes back in the clouds. It's the Shekinah glory of God. It's, and I think it's going to be a brightness in these clouds. The glory of God's going to come back, and it's going to be bright, and every eye is going to just be lit up at the sky watching Messiah come back. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. The second coming of Messiah. It will be a dramatic event. Most people have a view of Jesus, and I think it's an accurate view, of a gentle Jesus, uh, a loving Jesus. Hardly anybody has a view 
of the righteous, holy, wrathful Jesus. And what's going to happen when he returns and he pours out his wrath on the earth? When you're saved, by the way, you know, we always say we're, when we believe in Jesus Christ as, we're, as our Savior, we're saved. We're saved. Sozo is the word saved. It could be saved from a disaster. It can talk about your soul. You're saved primarily from the wrath of God. You are covered with the blood of Christ, and you will not experience the wrath and judgment of God. You are saved to a place called heaven, which will be your eternal home, living with Jesus forever. The time has come. Back to our text. No more second chances. There will be a day when there's no more. And the king is coming in his wrath. And Jesus will set up his millennial kingdom. Again, Jesus' return will be dramatic. The sun darkened. The moon darkened. The stars fall from heaven. Everything is shaken. The earth dwellers will mourn when this happens. They've been deceived by the Antichrist. And they're going to know they were on the wrong team. You know, they chose the Lions instead of the Patriots or something. I mean, they're on the wrong team. <laughs> they refuse. Why were they on the wrong team? Because they refused to receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. 2 Thessalonians 2.10. Notice how Jesus comes in the clouds like he left. In power and in great glory. Everyone will see him, folks. Like I said, the Shekinah glory, the skies will light up when Jesus comes back. It's not going to be a double super secret. I mean, everyone's going to know that the king is coming. And I tell you, yes, he is coming. The king is coming. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 says this, The Lord will consume, talking about the Antichrist, consume him with the breath of his mouth and the brightness, the brightness of his coming. Oh, when he comes... Everyone will know. What happens next? Well, the angels gather the elect from around the earth. Excuse me. Now, who are the elect? In context, I believe the elect are Israel. The church is the elect. They've been taken out. And I believe in context, it is Israel. Every Jew that survives the tribulation will become believers. How do I know that? Will you turn with me in your Bibles, whether you have paper or whether you have a computer or a phone to Jeremiah 31 31. Now this is the new covenant that God will make with his people and that will be put into effect the second they believe that he is the Messiah before he comes and rescues them in Petra or Basra. Verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Take a hard stop. From the time of Solomon's son, Rehoboam, until today, Israel has been divided, northern and southern kingdom. They will not be joined together until the millennial reign of Christ. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. That's the Mosaic covenant. My covenant that they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. What days? The tribulation. The Lord, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds 
write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they will all, they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Now take a little stop here. I want you to think about this. The moment you believed in Jesus, your sins, he remembers no more. How far are your sins cast from you? As far as the east is from the west. Though my sins are as scarlet, how are they? They're as white as snow. When you've been justified, your sins have been forgiven. Now we sin repeatedly as we're walking in this life. And, and that, that, that separates us from God in, 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 a, in a sense. And what are we to do when we sin? We're to confess our sins. Admit our sins. Confess your sins to God. In 1 John 1, 9. So, back to our text. They, the angels are going to get, this is a new covenant. They're all going to be saved. Now, in the new covenant, the Jews are all going to live in the land. So listen, they will be gathered and taken to the land. The angels will gather them. That has been promised to them in the Abrahamic covenant. Now, we've seen pictures similar to this before. Now, this is Israel today. See these little outlines here? That's where they live today. They don't even want them to have that. They want to carve out this area so they have even less. And remember, we had the map of the world. And in the map of the world, we had that little green speck that was on it that was the nation of Israel. God says, you can have all this other land. But that little speck is reserved for his people. And the world still doesn't want them to have this. But in the millennial reign of Christ, under the Abrahamic covenant, which you see in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and it's this land development is in Genesis chapter 15. It'll go all the way over to the Euphrates River, all the way over to the River Nile, down here into Saudi Arabia, up here into Lebanon. And every Jew in the world will be taken here by the angels and placed in the land. And this is where their home will be for a thousand years. They will then have the land that they've so long wanted. That'll be fulfilled in the millennial reign of Christ. Some closing thoughts. Now, we go, we've been through a lot of, you know, carcasses, vultures, eating the bodies, bad pictures, you know, ugly stuff. But I want you to realize what the heart of God is. The heart of God. God is gracious. Never forget this. Merciful, full of compassion, and abounding in love. That is our God. However, the time for second chances, the time for do-overs, start-overs, will come to an end. You are living in a time where you can do all kinds of do-overs, start-overs, second chances, 15,000 chances right now. But there will be a time if you don't take, up, take God up on his, on his promises that he'll say, no more, no more. That happens to nations, that happens to individuals, that you send away your day of grace. I don't know where that is, but I do know that God is gracious and compassion, and he will go a long way with a person. With the rapture of the church, the world will be put, will be put on notice that Jesus is real. Now, think about this. Consider, this is a consider, just a consider. The rapture could come years prior to the tribulation. Again, we had the little picture there, and there are people that believe it could happen. And again, it could happen right now. I mean, I'm saying, let me say it again, right now, right now, Lord, 
right now. Right? It could happen right now. And I, I, my sense is, the way the world is changing, I don't think it's going to be a long time. I could be wrong, but it seems like we're going so rapidly into that one world order that it's going to happen soon. When it occurs, the vanishings, that's what the people are going to call it, may be explained away. Now, I've mentioned this before, and I think, I believe I mentioned that Amir Sarfante and Jack Hibbs talked about this. And what they said that was the following, and Jack really prefaced his statement was, I don't want you to think I'm crazy to these thousands of people that are listening to him and tens of thousands on, the, on YouTube. And he said, I don't want you to think I'm crazy, but he says, this is what I think is happening, a plausible scenario. One scenario, extraterrestrials, which we're starting to see more and more UFO-type things, came and took the losers. That's the true church, okay? Uh, remember, the progressives want to save the earth. They want a one-world government to save the earth. And so they're postulating that some extraterrestrials are going to come back and help them with that process and get these losers out of the way so we can have this one world government, this, this, this earth be saved by the humans, by humans. These losers, the riffraff, the troublemakers, the resistors who were restraining progress. I love that word restraining because you are the restrainer. You are the Holy Spirit filled church that is inhibiting this system from going forward. You guys are the losers in their eyes, but you're champions in the eyes of God. Champions in the eyes of God. Now, we are seeing more and more UFO sightings. You don't call them UFOs anymore. To be hip is a new word. UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomenon. I believe, and so does Jack and Amir and many other people, and even Chuck Missler years ago mentioned this. These are demonic entities that entered our space-time dimension. Strange stuff. Now, I want you to consider something else. Now, this is something that has actually happened that you're living in today. With the collapse of Western Christianity, I'm talking about Europe, Australia, Canada, North America, North America Canada, America, even into South America, with the collapse of, of, of Christianity, Western Christianity, these demonic forces are given the green light to obey heretofore forbidden areas. Remember Jonathan Kahn's book, Return of the Gods. As you boot God out of a culture, the vacuum will be filled by these demonic false gods that will come into the culture. With arms wide open, the West is embracing demonism, and they are coming in mass. And they're coming violently to change your life. Now, what do you see today? You see an assault on the nuclear family as God ordained it like never before. An assault. You see families that are fractured, children rebelling against parents. Nothing new there. Nothing new. But in the past, you had parents who would take authority in the home and not allow the child to be the parent in the home. Today, it's been reversed. The children run the home. How many kids are running the mom at the supermarket? Screaming, yelling. I mean, that happened all the time. When I did that, it was instantly dealt with. <laughs> when you did that, you probably got dealt with it too. It was a bam. That was the end of it. 
Think of, so children rebelling against parents. The entire culture embracing evil, you know, homosexual marriage, transgenderism, open borders, multiple ways to God, believe anything that you want, you're okay, that sort of thing. Shunning good. And then we're seeing this, and I've mentioned it before, we had the slides on it, lawlessness abounding, the love of many growing cold, and the flash mobs and the prosecutors that are doing zero, zero to deal with that. Folks, this is happening now. Can you imagine the tribulation? Can you imagine the tribulation? And I believe we're seeing a preview of coming attractions right now. In the past, the restrainer, the Holy Spirit-filled church, I think was very strong in the West. And the demonic could not dominate them. They had pockets, pockets, but they could not dominate. The Spirit-filled church, and I call the Spirit-filled church the true church, has given way to progressive Christianity. What is progressive Christianity? A hodgepodge of beliefs, not centered on Scripture, but on feelings of those who are deceived. I just feel that homosexual marriage is proper. I just feel that transgenderism is proper. I just feel that lawlessness is proper. I just feel this. That's progressive Christianity. Deception is the only way that evil can be called good and good evil. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 24, verse 4. Take heed that no one, no one, no one deceives you. He puts the onus on you. You have the warning. Don't let anybody deceive you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Now, I believe this is in the tribulation. But folks, leading up to this, the program is putting, being put into effect. Did you hear that, what he said? Many. Folks, many is the majority. will say Jesus is Jesus. But the Jesus they are representing is a false Jesus. A Jesus of their imaginations. Not the Jesus of Scripture. There's a big difference. That's why you need to know the Word of God. That's the reason they can do what they want in these places. Because the Word of God is not preeminent there. The people are ignorant of the Word of God. The Olivet Discourse is a warning to everyone who will hear. It's going to get bad. Things are not going to get better. Jesus said so. When humans rule devoid of God, you can guarantee the humans aren't going to do well. I mean, just look at North Korea. Just look at China. Just look at the standard of living where humans are in charge. The WHO, the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, the United Nations are steeped in humanism. These organizations ignore God, deny God, and extol humanity, and they are relying on humanity to save the planet. Now look, we are to be good citizens, to treat our environment properly. But we are not saving this planet. Jesus is coming back to save the planet. That's what's happening. Learn from the nation of Israel, who continually forgot God and worship the gods of the culture, again, demonic entities. Forgetting God always brings one big mess into your life. Nehemiah returns to build the wall, and he does so in a miraculous 52 days, the wall around Jerusalem, the miracle Cyrus lets the people go back, he builds the wall, and they have protection now in Jerusalem, and he did this against the triune enemy of Sanballat, Tobias, and Geshem. 
These are three guys in charge in that area that tried to subvert him every way they could. They threatened him, tried to buy him off, and he wouldn't listen. In 52 days, it was accomplished. Now, when it was accomplished, Ezra the priest does something. He read from the book of the law to the people, and hearts changed. See, it's the, when you read the word, hearts change. They heard the word, and their response is awesome in Nehemiah 8.6. Ezra, notice what he does first. First thing we do, you get up in the morning, bless the Lord. All praise and honor and glory to you, God. Bless, bless Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The great God, the great Elohim. Then all people answered, Amen, Amen. While lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is all out giving of yourself to God. Then they were encouraged not to mourn nor weep, but to go out with joy. Now, let me say this. We're looking at a lot of crud here today. A lot of crud coming into our world today. In the midst of life stresses, choose joy. In the midst of life stresses, choose joy. Joy is a hallmark, folks, of the Christian. You're not going to be joyful always. That's your goal. Things are going to get you down, but don't stay there. Don't live there. Don't make that your home. Jesus said these words in John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you. Now, John 15, 11 is literally one day before the cross. One day before Jesus is going to die. And he's told his disciples all the stuff that's going to happen. These things I have spoken to you, my, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be just a little bit. No, maybe full, full, overflowing, full. God doesn't give you a little bit. So may, may I said, say to you, we have a lot of things we talk about that may be coming. And it might be stressful, it might be a concern for you, but I would encourage you, enjoy God, enjoy your life, and live out your lives. You can buy a car. You can buy a house. You can do whatever you want to do. Go on a vacation. Live your life. But live it realizing that the king is right around the corner. Now, it could be today. It could be a month. It might be a year's. I don't know. But he has given you this life for now. Live it. It's a treasure. Now, I believe God has a word for us today facing these unprecedented stressful times. Allow God to restore your soul, to encourage your spirit, to pick you out of the miry clay and set you on the rock. There are two Psalms that I'm going to give you. Psalm number one is Psalm 40, verse one and two. This is so good because this is something we don't do. I waited patiently for the Lord. Well, I can't wait patiently in the dentist office. I can't wait patiently any place. It's the red light. It's too long. The microwave is too slow. I mean, when's this, you know, patient. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire of this life. He set me on the rock, the Lord Jesus, and gave me a firm place to stand. You know the song. He picked me out of the miry clay. I was encouraged by heaven. I just got to burst it out. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He put a song in my heart today, a song of praise. Hallelujah. 
He did. He picked me out of the miry clay, put me on the rock, the Lord Jesus. That's what he did. And how about Psalm 34, verses 4 through 6? I sought the Lord. I hope you're doing that. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never, ever covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Those people that got baptized last Sunday were saying to the world, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I belong to. Who I belong to. Ezra said the following words to the people, and I believe the Spirit intends this for us today. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. As you walk through the crud of this life, you cannot walk here without getting stepping into world's manure. It's there. You can tippy-toe all you want, but you're going to step in some from time to time. It's there. Surprises will pop up. Changes will occur in your life. That's life. That's how it is. But remember, never forget this, Weeping may last for a night, but what happens? Joy. Joy comes in the morning. Ladies and gentlemen, in these changing times, from God's mouth to you, to your heart, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Say it with me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Evan, I've been encouraged by you. Just burst it out. Yes. And I love this last psalm. This is actually a song, and I wasn't going to do this. I will do it. I have five minutes. And I will torture you with this. The Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. You have these two guys that come out and sing this song. And I mean, they belt it out. You want to hear this for real, for good? Here's two guys that are going to really do this wonderfully. Tune into that. Go to YouTube. They start out with this. I sought the Lord. And he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. They'll never be ashamed. They'll never be ashamed. Then they go, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And he saved them out of all their troubles. And then they burst into this, magnify the Lord with me. I mean, it's great. Let him exalt his name forever. I mean, I just, I, I'm just praising God with these guys. I mean, it was just terrific. Go there. You'll enjoy it. Hey, praise the name of the Lord. God loves you. Live full of the Holy Spirit. It's the best life ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, that you left your spirit, you sent your spirit to walk with us through this life. That we can walk through the crud, we can walk through the mire, we can walk through all the stuff, and then you set us on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, there's no one like you. There is no God like you. There is none. Thank you that you saved us. Thank you that you prepared a place for us. Thank you that you're coming for us. And thank you, Lord. We're sensing it soon. It's soon. The King is coming. The King is coming soon.
Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.